0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org.
1: All the girls are complicated. Everyone. Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm moderator Kim Feldman, and with me today are Christina Bieberlake and Blake Miller. Hello, Christina and Blake. Hi there. We're going to introduce ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. And so, Christina, can you get us started?
2: Certainly. Um, my name is Christina Bieberlake. I teach English at Wheaton College, teach American literature. I am married to an Anglican priest, hence my interest in the show. And we have one son his name is Donovan and he is a nationally ranked bowler and right around now Illinois is this is the best time it ever it ever gets so i'm feeling pretty good
1: awesome blake hi there my name is
0: Blake Miller i am a, a hospital chaplain for a cancer institute here in upstate south carolina so i'm a little bit removed from the the pastor role or the the you know parish church ministry but i have kind of seen it from a pretty close distance, and perhaps my wife could tell me a couple of things about what it's like being a chaplain's wife, if not a pastor's wife.
1: Great. i glad to have both of your perspectives, and I am Kim Feldman. I live here in Baltimore, Maryland, with my husband, who was in pastoral ministry for 21 years, and uh, my two kids. I teach at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Before I was there, I was a high school English teacher, and then I got my PhD in language, literacy, and culture, and now I teach future teachers. And today, we are going to be applying our Christian feminist lens to the role of pastor's wife to consider how that lens might help us to better understand both the blessings and challenges of being a pastor's wife. We are focusing specifically on pastor's wives rather than pastor's husbands because expectations on pastor's wives tend to be a little bit different than on pastor's husbands, which we might talk about more during the show. Uh, Before I share a bit about the pieces that we read to frame today's discussion, I'd like to let each of us share a bit about our own experiences and our interest in the topic, and I'm going to go first so that I can kind of share why I propose this as a topic for the show. Um, When I married my husband in 2004, he was a worship pastor at a Southern Baptist church in Georgia. A year later, we moved to Maryland to plant a church, and my husband pastored that church for 16 years, and overall, it was a sweet experience, but church planting is hard and uh starting with the election in 2016 and continuing into the pandemic it got even harder um and that kind of brought me to a bit of a breaking point with the whole um being a pastor's wife thing and a few months later my husband too kind of reached he had been sensing a shift in his vocational calling for a while but he kind of reached a point too where he just couldn 't do it anymore, so he resigned, and uh, that process of leaving the church that we had served for sixteen years was pretty traumatic for our family it's where my kids had grown up and uh, they had grown up with the children there and um it was it was just a hard transition but last summer um, so that happened in October of last year, but even before that uh Beth Allison Barr posted a tweet thread on twitter that uh said this it said maybe i should write a history memoir on being married to a pastor i just read another heart-wrenching message from a pastor's wife I know being a pastor is hard, but being married to a pastor is just as hard. You see how hard your spouse works, often with little or no downtime, often in high stress and emotion-filled situations. And the impact often seems so small. People still leave the church, not because of you, but because it isn't right for them. The criticism is much higher than the pay, and the stress often doesn't seem worth it. But you are called to this life, and so you stay, and you keep going. I see you, I know you, and I promise God does too. And then there were just dozens upon dozens of responses to this post that were both heartbreaking and also a little bit reassuring because I realized that the personal wasn't just personal, that the things that I had been experiencing, other women had been experiencing. Mm. And I actually sent her a direct message in response. And I said, thank you for your post about pastor's wives. I've been one for 17 years and just started therapy because of it. You nailed it. I love my husband, and I love Jesus, and I've been burned so many times and felt personally responsible for people leaving so many times, even if I wasn't the reason. I believe in the importance of the local church, and I know how important it has been to my spiritual walk, but I feel so anxious and physically ill every time I have to go now. I can't trust those who are there, who are committed and wonderful, because of the pain caused by those who left. They can leave, but I can't. I'm left behind to pick up the pieces every time, and I just can't anymore. And my husband is already so stressed by his work that I don't feel like I can add an extra burden to him, hence therapy. Happy to co-write on this topic anytime. The struggle is real. Side note, she has not gotten back to me about co-writing something, so I figured podcasting on the topic would be a good place for me to start. So um, I wanted to do this episode to share and process kind of my own experience and to let other pastors' wives out there know that they are seen and to think through together how we can better love and support pastors' wives. Uh, There have been a lot of articles lately written about pastors' mental health, and they're leaving the ministry, but not much written that I could find about pastors' wives. So that's kind of the story and perspective that I'm coming from into this conversation. Uh, Blake, can you share kind of of why you were willing to participate in this conversation?
0: Well, I uh, I have, like I said, sort of a peripheral uh, sense of, of what it's like to be a pastor's wife. I've, I've known many pastors and had relationships, both superficial and much deeper with them. And I can't say I've had, you know, a true friendship, let's say, with a pastor's wife, but I you know you, you do the kind of work that i've done you you get your uh seminary degree you get ordained and endorsed and you become a chaplain and you will inevitably you know understand a little bit more about the the machinations that go on in in the uh in the church so uh a lot of the wives that i know of pastors didn't have you know special duties uh weren't considered like the first lady of their church as i know some uh some churches Kind of appreciate the role in that way, but I've heard stories everything from you know uh, congregants going to the wife of a new pastor and telling her what her duties have to be now that she is the wife, uh, and the the wife having to kind of take a stand and say, no, I'm not going to do exactly what I'm told. You hired you know my husband and not me, that kind of thing. Um, even Ooh-hoo. when I was uh, just out of college, the co- the uh, campus ministry I was a part of hired a new uh, campus minister. And in that interview process, the wives sat with the husbands in their interviews. And I guess that's kind of all that needs to be said. I don't know of any other profession where, uh, you know, the, the man going for the job sits with his wife at the job interview to find out. If exactly. Amen.
1: I was totally going to talk uh, about that. That's like something yeah. that's it's one of those things that's been normalized in the church that I'm just like looking back, I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, that was crazy that I had to be a part of it every interview.
0: So, so to encapsulate it all, I would say I, I have a, a small amount of information and experience of seeing uh, the role of pastor be seen as a two-person job or a job that naturally w- will never not fall on the wife as well as the husband. And I've heard a couple of anecdotes or conversations about, you know, they think they hired both of us, but they're only paying one of us <laughs> just, to, just exactly. to throw that out there yeah. as well.
1: Christina? Yeah.
2: That's 100 percent true. And I, that's the reason why I wanted to be on this call is because I just feel like we have to we have to address this issue because it's structurally so messed up um, for exactly the reasons that uh, Blake was just mentioning, you know, this this whole expectation that you're getting the wife for free um, is just, it's, it's appalling. It makes me angry. And my experience of this is, is completely different. When I married my husband, he was a philosophy professor, chair of the philosophy department at Trinity Christian College. And it was later that he was ordained to the priesthood. And then we tried the whole church planning thing too, which, oh my gosh, is, is so stressful, like extremely stressful. It and really it is. A, it was a failure, yeah. um, which... It was, just, I mean, I just, it was crazy and I work full time, you know, so it wasn't like I was able to do as much to help him as I could have maybe otherwise. Um, and then, and this is a super long story, but because of my work uh, that he can't just go and be a rector somewhere unless there's an opening, right? Cause we're not leaving the Wheaton area. So we have been in the Anglican church of North America here uh, but there's not been a job for Steve and his bishop hasn't been particularly mindful of helping him find work so he's been in limbo for for quite some time and he is now interim priest at Cornerstone Anglican Church in Oak Park so that's that's our current status and i think all i have to say about why i'm angry about this can come down to the fact that he did apply for a job that was uh, a rector position up in like Milwaukee which is not far You know, sort of, maybe a little bit. It's a little closer than Milwaukee, not far from here. And it it kind of came through the grapevine later on that the reason why he wasn't even considered was because of me and my work. (laughs) Uh, They knew that I wasn't going to, you know, leave my job. That even if he lived up there part time, that wasn't going to be enough for them. So that 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 really frustrated me. So I
1: I was really curious to hear your experience, because I I thought you were Anglican, um, and I thought that my experience, as far as, you know, having to go with him for interviews and things like that, I thought it was more of a Southern Baptist kind of congregationalist thing, that that was... Oh, not,
2: yeah, no, I, the, I wasn't expected at the interviews, but yeah, I was certainly factored into the decision because they yeah, knew who that's I was. surprising yeah. to me. Yeah,
1: because yeah. I, I figured when it's kind of top down, as it is more in the Anglican Church, I didn't. I was curious to see if it would be as much of an issue as it is in a congregational setting. Yeah, it's certainly not. It's
2: not going to be as bad, but there are certainly some some. Um, but it's still there. some areas of overlap. That's you bet. Really yeah.
1: fascinating. Um, but that yeah, this is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation because um, I think you know, you know, part of the feminist movement in the 1970s was kind of realizing that the personal is political, you know, that just helping women's consciousness raising of coming to a realization that their personal experiences and struggles weren't isolated, you know, that this was actually systemic. And, and that's what I've started to become aware of is that like this personal crisis that I had last year wasn't just this like me and my church thing (laughs) that this is something that a lot of women are experiencing and um because it's a heavy burden when you are a full-time you know i i work full-time as well and have my own career and then to also have to kind of carry the burden of the church and my husband's career Mm -hmm. is is a lot (laughs) so yeah
2: and it's it's so unfair yeah not not the least just least reason that you're not being paid. That's right. like the least of right. all of the yes, reasons and, and, why it's not fair.
1: Yeah, and that's 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 all part of it. So, um, let me just share. I just want to share briefly about the readings that we did do, and 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 I, they're not particularly like powerful readings, but I think it was important for me just to kind of get outside my own experience and to kind of, to, to kind of frame it, um, with a larger the larger story of what other women might be experiencing. Um, And these two articles, I think, well, first of all, I couldn't find any more recent, but these were from 2017, and they were both written in the same year, um, which kind of was interesting to me because they, kind of come from slightly different angles, but one's more of a features piece, and the other one's more of a news article. The first article, The Pastor's Wife, Her her Balance Between Ministry and Health, was written in Christianity Today in 2017. It's a features lifestyle piece by Rhoda Sanchez-Gonzalez. It describes the extensive accomplishments and expectations placed on pastor's wives, and then goes on to explain how pastor's wives must care for their spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health in order to be more effective in ministry and to maintain a healthy marriage and family life. The second article, Survey Being a Pastor's Wife is Good for Faith, Bad for Friendship, was also written in Christianity Today a few months later in 2017 by Kate Shelnut. It is more of a news piece reporting on survey results from a LifeWay survey, survey, and the full report from LifeWay is linked in the article. 96% of the respondents to the survey were female, meaning most respondents were pastors' wives rather than husbands. The findings ranged from 90% 90% of wives feeling like being in ministry had a positive impact on their families and 85% that their families were well cared for by the church to 72% of wives expressing that their partners frequently faced resistance to their, to their leadership. 69% of wives had few people that they could confide in. And 59% said that ministry limited family time. The article goes on to discuss how times and expectations have changed for pastors' wives, moving beyond just casseroles and fashion to having to deal more with complex relationships and church conflict. On top of that, more and more pastors' wives have their own careers outside of ministry or have paid positions in their spouses' churches. Um, So we're going to just, if you want to refer to the articles or to your own experiences, we can kind of, fluidly go between them, but um, I wanted to start off by talking about some of the blessings, some of the unique blessings of being a pastor's spouse. Um, So what have you noticed either in the articles or in your own experiences about um, what's good about being a pastor's wife before we get into the hard things?
2: (laughs) Wait, I have to think of something good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was looking for both of these, and I didn't see much. I will say in, in the article, uh, the survey, Being a Pastor's Wife is Good for Faith, Bad for Friendship, uh, it does mention that uh, 90% of the spouses see that uh, being a pastor's spouse and having family ministry involvement has had a positive effect on their life. They said that more than half commit to regular family time at least once a week, Uh It immediately turns into talking about suffering anxiety, depression, and resentment, but then says most report being generally happy and satisfied with their lives. And in fact, uh, the respondents, 74% of them said that they see themselves as happier than their peers and see their work as valuable to the ministry. 88% said that last part, which I think is great. I, I, I love to hear that at least if they are being asked to do so much and to kind of Uh, take on this kind of unspoken role with a lot of unwritten rules, at least they believe that it's having a positive effect and that they can feel, uh, you know, grateful about that and feel, uh, you know, like they are truly contributing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I would would agree with a lot of... That as well. It it is a weird kind of conflict. Like, yes, I was in therapy because of this last year, and it was an extremely hard year. But when I look back over the whole of our experience, I am so grateful for the relationships that I did have. I mean, we had a very small, intimate church, and it was truly a family. Like, I I spent more time with them than I do do with my family in Georgia, and my kids grew up with those people, and those. The people in the church just enriched and blessed our lives in so many ways, um, and it's it's so strange to kind of lay that alongside some of the the harder things that happen. Because and it's true with any kind of family when you when you have close family, it's also where it hurts the most. You know, mm-hmm. when when things can go awry or um, not go as expected. So the other nice thing was just that. Jesus was very much at, at the center of our lives. Um, you know, this is, it frames so much of how we spent our time together as a family. And my my children got to see up close and personal what ministry looked like. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was definitely formative for them and um, and that they have a close relationship with God because of that. Um, and in a strange way, the the whole... This is like where it's both a blessing and a curse. Me being invited or expected to be at the assessment and the interviews for church planning, um, you know, at the time I didn't question it, and now I, I definitely do question it. But in a strange way, it is a way for women to have a profound impact in ministry Especially yeah. in a complementarian setting where there where women can't be pastors. You know, I was inherently part of the leadership team. Um, right. And so that's that's a good thing, right? Like I was able to have a leadership role. I, You know, I was a deacon. I was able to serve the women um, in a complementarian setting. But at the same time, it was a heavy burden to, you know, like you said, you know, it was basically a, a free second pastor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So
2: Yeah, well, you know, you make a great point about the benefits of the sort of spiritual leadership that you get kind of at home, right? That to to watch my husband flourish, uh, you know, when he finally did get some employment right in this area, uh, and, and then to have him bring that kind of into our family was really great. Like, that is a real great blessing. There's no question about it. Um, and I actually get asked to preach quite a bit, and I love preaching so, I probably wouldn't necessarily get that if I wasn't you know the the wife of the priest or whatever, but um you know he trusts me to be in the pulpit. he doesn't get to trust you know any just anybody right um so so those are benefits for sure.
1: Yeah so we kind of started to talk a lot about the challenges, <laughs> particularly <laughs> in the area of expectations um. And I want to read from the f- the first article, the features article, um, <laughs> a bit of what it says. It says, she is a faster, she is faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. She stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Do you recognize her? As Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31 says, she speaks up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. She speaks up and judges fairly. She defends the rights of the poor and needy. She is the life partner of one man, her husband. She is the bedrock of her family and the heart of the church. This gracious and intriguing woman is not Superman. This woman is the pastor's wife. The pastor's wife has many roles, and with great skill, spins each role like a gyrating plate, continuously moving, not missing a beat. Her husband, family, church, job, and community depend on her every week to meet needs, comfort broken hearts, heal wounded knees, mentor upcoming leaders, and do everything with a smile and a bionic woman's strength. Year after year, the duties of the pastor's wife become more intricate and challenging. His wife's involvement in the ministry can also stretch to a point of being out of balance in the other areas of her life. What I found interesting about this whole thing was that this was being said uncritically. <laughs> like, this was not yeah. ironic. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like, she's required to do everything and be incredible at it. Isn't that great? Not, she needs a break or, you know. And,
1: you and know. then it goes on to say what she needs to do to keep her life in balance. <laughs> yeah. And. It's nuts. <laughs> um. But what was interesting is like it's describing this and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what my life was like. And I literally would talk about how I feel like I'm spinning plates and they're getting ready to crash down at any moment. Like that's exactly how I described it. But it was in a critical sense like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this much longer. Um, So it was very interesting to read this and to be like how apt this description was, but also how uncritical the article was that like, this was okay, that this is just the expectation. So let's see how we're going to, how she's going to deal with it, not how everyone else is going to deal with it, but what she needs to do to keep her life in balance. And that's something that my husband's been struggling with because he, you know, there's so many articles right now about what pastors need to do so that Mm -hmm. they can stay in ministry. And he was like, no, like we can't blame the pastors for what's happening to them. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah, the, the the expectations that are out of whack are, of course, as much on the pastors as they are on the pastors' wives, right? Right. Um, and that is definitely a only they're getting problem. paid for it. Only they're getting paid for it, right? So, so then it makes it um, you know easier for them to slap on those expectations, right? Because it's like, well, we hired you to do that. And in our situation, like because my husband is interim priest, he's not even getting a full time salary, right? But he's supposed to be paid for like certain like thirty hours a week. He works way more than that, you know. So. yeah so yeah i was really disturbed how like um uncritical it was of of that whole the whole framework the whole structure and i just always laugh at proverbs 31 because i'm like i'm a proverbs 31 woman but uh proverbs 31 you know five and six which in seven let beer be for those who are perishing wine for those who are in anguish (laughs) that's the kind of proverbs 31 woman i am uh (laughs) I just don't fit I don't fit the mold at all and so I think coming at this later in life like I was never this young woman who was not her own self who was married to a priest is like I have a career and I'm just kind of going I'm like I'm not doing this I'm not doing that not doing that sorry I'm not going to be the ones that's you know how you know planning your baby shower or you know whatever I'm really good at setting boundaries Mm. Uh, so it, it helps with the expectations issue for me personally yeah, um, But that's why I wanted to talk about this because I feel like so many women, because again, evangelical women um, and sort of the patriarchy and all the stuff that's surrounded with that tend to have this kind of meekness, mm-hmm. right, A- mm-hmm. and, and ability to set those, those boundaries. And so it, it reinforces the expectations and the whole thing is nothing ever gets challenged or
1: changed. Right. Yeah. My husband was very clear when we were engaged that, you know, he he must have been coached well by, you know, a fellow pastor or somebody because he he told me up front, he he warned me about the fishbowl while we were still dating. And then once we were engaged, he was was very clear that he had no expectations of me, you know, as Uh far as like, I did not have to be children's minister, I did not have to be the women's minister, you know, that that I could choose the extent to which I was going to be involved. Um, But I think as women, we tend to Often place more expectations on ourselves than others mm-hmm. place on us, and so mm-hmm. it, this wasn't even something that the people in my church placed on me. Like this was mm-hmm. entirely something that I placed on myself, and I think you know I've been thinking about it a lot this week in preparation for this that. Part of it was that experience when we were going to be church planners and we went to something called an assessment to see if they were going to fund us. And I was there and I had to go through the whole assessment. I was interviewed. I had to take all kinds of personality tests. Like, Oh, yeah. I had that too. Yeah. yeah going through all of that, um, it definitely kind of sent an inherent message that you are part of this. Mm -hmm. You know, that you, that, that part of the success or failure of this church plant lies on you, not just your husband. And Mm -hmm. so I internalized that and, um, you know, if something needed to be done, if I realized and, and it was also a calling, you know, like I realized that the women in our church were suffering. And so I stepped up to be women's deacon and to do the women's ministry because we needed it Uh and, and there was a need there, but it's still uh, a lot to carry when you also have your own career.
2: Um, yeah, it is a lot to carry. And and it, it kind of, you kind of were put in a tough spot, which is what happens to a lot of women because we do care. Mm-hmm. right? We right. do see the needs. We do want to respond to them. And then we're like, well, I'm the pastor's wife. So maybe I should, you know, be leading out in how to do that. You know, and right. we should. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you it, mind it go ahead. no, please go ahead.
0: Sure. Well, I'm thinking about you know the interviews I've seen where the the prospective pastor and his wife were interviewed together, and then Kimberly, you were talking about uh, being assessed in order to be a church planter. So I was wondering, is is there any kind of redeeming quality in your mind to that? Is there any point at which you think that that is a good thing, that is maybe a necessary thing? Because I'm kind of contrasting it with, maybe not contrasting it, but but putting it uh, next to you know Paul's words to Timothy that that you know, a leader in the church needs to be the husband of one wife, needs right. to be in control yeah. of his Absolutely. kids. So there is this idea that, you know, I've heard one person say, and I'll just go ahead and tell you who it was, said this. Mark Driscoll said this, mm-hmm. so take that for what he will. But mm-hmm. um, he said, uh, "A wi- your wife cannot qualify you for ministry, but she can disqualify you. Yeah. And, you know, obviously taking everything Mark Driscoll says uh, through, through the lens of time with a grain of salt, I think there might be something to that. And I was wondering if y'all could speak on where and and to what extent do you think uh, being assessed next to your husband and being interviewed next to him is a good thing and, and is something you would recommend?
1: I think to the extent it shouldn't necessarily be assessing me and my skills set and my personality so much as um, assessing maybe our relationship. Or, That's what
2: exactly what I was going to yeah, say. That, yeah. So
1: I I do think that you know how he leads. In the family, how he, you know, cares for his children and his wife is an important qualifier for ministry. Um, I, I still feel like the burden should be placed more on assessing him than me. Although I will say this and Christina, it sounds like you had a similar experience. Church planting is super hard. And Mm -hmm. if the wife isn't on board with it, um, I think that, you know, that that would definitely an issue. So I can I can totally see why you wouldn't want to make sure that you're both kind of your hearts are in it going into it because of how hard it is.
2: Mm-hmm. See, I wasn't given those tests for being a spouse of a church planting priest. I was given those when he was ordained um as a part of the of the qualifications for ordination was that both partners had to, you know, submit to these kind of psychological tests and, and all of that. So interesting. So it's wow. slightly different. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. And, and I, I remember thinking oh boy, you know, but I do, I do remember thinking that it was mostly about me, like them making sure that our marriage worked. Yes,
1: um yes, yeah. And, and
2: and I and that does seem fair to me to Yeah, expect, and that is in uh, line you know. with
1: scriptures yeah. instructions on elders, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and that's the way that I perceived it. So I was never super bothered by by that. Um I'm more bothered by the sort of um the, the the unspoken you know expectations and and things that
1: it's a package deal yeah that you're that getting it's a the husband deal. and and the wife yeah mm-hmm. or the pastor and that, the wife
2: and that there are certain ways that I should behave or should not behave and if I don't behave in those ways then that would would somehow reflect on my husband which just infuriates me you know it's just like I'm my own person it doesn't reflect on on him if I'm not you know good at setting up lunches after church you know like my my gifts. Like my spiritual gifts are the opposite of the typical what you think of when you think of pastors' wives' duties, you know right. they're, they're they're literally the opposite, like yeah, I, prophecy, teaching, you know,
1: yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean for yeah. me, um, yeah, hospitality was definitely like a learned thing, yes, yeah. um and I have gotten really good at it, um, but like it wasn't a natural gifting for me
2: <laughs> yeah, and then and then other things like. Leading music or children say like nope can't sing yeah I no, I don't even know how to do read music you know so it's like yeah I, I'm just like you take all the typical stuff and I'm like the opposite of that you know yeah. so it, and all it does is kind of just show up how sort of broken the whole set of expectations really is but and I again go back to that as a systemic issue having mm-hmm. to do with with the kind of patriarchal echoes or still just active patriarchal you know kind of viewpoints within particularly evangelical the evangelical church right
1: and that's what i i don't know if it was one of these articles or a different one now that i can think about it but um i had seen somewhere that talked about how the expectations are slightly different for women who are pastors wives than for men who are pastor spouses um yes that because there's kind of this expectation in a society well he's got his own career he's not there's no expectation that he's going to be delivering meals or setting up Baby showers or doing any of those things, but, you know. And that
2: just puts the lie on the whole thing, right? It right, puts, exactly. Right, it just
1: makes it perfectly clear. That it is, this is yeah, the systemic um, sexism, yeah. Ugh. So, um, you know, another thing that the articles brought up was the issue of friendships, um, that it's hard for the pastor's wives to form deep friendships in the church. Um, mm-hmm. It said that younger wives, 96% of respondents, oh, it's, I'm sorry, that wasn't what the quote I was going to read. Um, Oh, the way they described it was a little different than my experience, but it said Joanna Briel wrote for Christianity Today about the inevitable distance between pastors' wives and the rest of the congregation. When pastors' wives walk up, the conversation goes quiet. Our remarks are often met with flattering but awkward deference. Our relationships still have a degree of distance. It is the pastor's wife effect. Sometimes these chasms are self-inflicted the result of having been hurt in the past and keeping ourselves safely aloof. Sometimes they are the, the result of an unhealthy church culture that puts our husbands and families on pedestals, but sometimes they are the result of congregants not making peace with the fact that the pastor's wife is just a regular person. It is definitely a challenge in the role of being the burden bearer. You wonder if anyone is there to carry your burdens. Um, I never had that experience of like people going quiet around me or... Um, or anything like that, or even necessarily putting me up on a pedestal. I don't, I didn't didn't have that experience. Um, but I did resonate with that quote of, um, sometimes these chasms are self-inflicted the result of Mm -hmm. having been hurt in the past and keeping ourselves safely aloof. Um, you know, we had several people leave the church, um, and it wasn't, you know, I don't like. I don't have anger towards them. Like, I don't feel like it was like a a bad break, but it still hurt every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I tended to take it very personally. Um, even if it didn't make sense, like like that I had done something wrong.
2: <laughs> um, you're sometimes like the, you're like a child and a divorced parents, right? You know, it's yeah, like they, they're somehow divorcing because of, of me, which is totally illogical, right? But right, it, it it's it's part of it because you're, you're like maybe, part I, of the, didn't yeah. maybe yeah, I didn't call enough,
1: maybe I didn't help them to feel connected, maybe I should have invited them over for dinner more often, right? Right, right, um, and you know, I, it was like each time i would go through that little spiral and like then the next time it happened it would kind of bring up all the past ones Uh. um so there was kind of a compounding effect and so like once COVID hit and things got a little hard in a lot of churches um i i got to the point where i was scared to call people or to show up on sunday and to see who wasn't there and where they maybe they were just sick maybe they were on vacation but i was like maybe they're leaving you know, and so then yeah. I was, like, afraid to engage with people because I was, like, s- protecting myself from that moment when they were going to leave, yeah, which was irrational, sense. you know?
2: Yeah. Um, but it makes sense. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, uh, it, yeah.
1: And I just I, think it's, it's one of those things that we don't realize um, as congregants, I, I think, um, because we, when we're not, because currently I'm not in ministry, I can – go to a different church anytime and it's not going to hurt me, but it might hurt the people who are staying, especially those who don't have the option to ever leave because they're married to the pastor.
2: Yeah. Now that I I will say is, is probably the most difficult thing about where we're at right now. I can't speak to how other people will treat me as a priest wife because I'm, he's not actually been hired. He is up for the job, but he's not actually been hired, you know, for it. And Mm -hmm. it'll be so interesting to me if he does get hired to see how my relationship with the people in the congregation changes. Right. So right. I'm really, I'm That's part of the reason why I'm really interested in this conversation. I'm like, what would happen? What, okay. how would their expectations be different from me? But it's already really hard for me that we go to Oak Park for church, you mm-hmm. know, um, because that's a 45 minute drive from right. um, from Wheaton. And, you know, it, it would not be my church of choice, you know? Uh, right. And, and, uh, you know, I, I do feel like, it's less open to me to do what I call going to the Church of the Holy Comforter on the mornings where I really need to actually just stay at home, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not go to church. Because mm-hmm. especially when I'm teaching full time, I'm just people exhausted. Mm-hmm. And Sunday is like the one day I can just stay at home, you know. Right. Well, I can't if right. I'm the pastor's wife, right? Yep. And, and that's, that's actually a, that's a huge issue for me. Yeah. Because um, I just don't – I don't believe in going to church to perform or show your righteousness, you know. Right. So if I feel like I really need more time with God alone, then I'm going to take it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I definitely don't feel like I'm able to do that uh, right. with, the, with the same amount of freedom. So,
1: Yeah. That's um, definitely something that I had contemplated this week, just that that feeling of you can't choose where you're going to worship. You can't choose when you're going to worship. It's like – it's decided for you
2: (laughs) yeah it is and it's so funny to me too here's the other thing that's really kind of an interesting twist is that my husband you know knowing that he works more hours than he probably should is very careful to make sure he takes a day off right yes Mm -hmm. and it's friday it's friday's his day off and then and it'll be like and i'll I'll be like "Well, when's my day off right you know Mm -hmm.
1: because it's like i'm I'm going to church on my day off yeah (laughs) you know and i'm serving at the church for me like i was constantly serving yeah. yeah
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't do as much as you were outlining, but 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 it wouldn't be what I would choose to do on my day off, right? Yeah. So it, it be, it's become a kind of a little <laughs> a little sticky point, you know. Oh no, uh, I absolutely
1: right? understand that. Yeah, th- and that's something so. I totally forgot about this week. Um but that was absolutely a sticky point. <laughs> um
2: Yeah. So this came up for you guys too.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: There was no Interesting.
1: Yeah, well, he, first of all, he wasn't super good about taking a full day off. Um oh, uh-huh. But but there wasn't the option, you know, like, like I needed to work Monday through Friday. And um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something really important for people to be aware of that, that pastor's wives don't often have that option if they are working full time.
2: Yeah. And this is also a feminist issue, right? Because, um, you know, on his day off, he'll be, he'll say something like, well, you know, like, you know, oh, can you go pick up Donovan at the, the, the bowling alley? Well, no, it's my day off. I'm like, well, what do you, you know what? i do on my day off <laughs> right cook, but, you know. yeah <laughs> come on man you know day off does not mean that right, <laughs> right it means yeah. off of the work that right. you have been paid to do. you know yeah so it's funny yeah i think that blake you're, you're really quiet here so we're wondering what you're thinking
0: i'm just i'm just happy that i get to be the first person to listen to this podcast really um, <laughs> i appreciate uh what, I, what you guys are saying and i i don't want to sort of intrude with my through a mirror or through a glass darkly perspective on it. The the most I can say, you know, to my own experience of that would be uh, trying to lead a Bible study or wanting to get hooked up with you know the Bible studies that any one of the various churches I've been a part of in the last few years has offered, and just some of the the ways that they approached the the uh, husband and wife team idea uh-huh. of it, yeah. you know, because. Yeah. I went to a mega church a couple of years ago, and we we poured into that church for a while. And I I wanted to uh, maybe become one of the Bible study leaders, and I met with the Bible study pastor, um, and he said there are men groups, there are women's groups, and there are married couples groups. So yeah. you can either do the men group with with nothing but men, or you and your wife can co lead a married couples group. Yeah. Oh wow. wow. And. You know, I said to him at first, I said, well, I really don't want to do the men's group because my experience of men's group is they don't do the reading. And, you know, <laughs> they don't <laughs> like it, I, I think it, it wouldn't be hard to, to talk to any man who's really well plugged into a church um, and and have him tell you a few stories about. And, and like I said, this has happened plenty of times for me, uh, you know, a, a group of people, men and women meeting together. And then they go, all right, all the men on this side of the room, all the women on that side. And you can overhear the women having a involved, emotional conversation. And these guys are working to see who, you know, has to talk next. Yeah. And there, the ladies are having this great prayer and they're invoking the Holy Spirit and hands are <laughs> raised. And you can feel the the love emanating through there. And these guys over here are just like, oh, yeah, pray for, you know, my job. Or, you know, I'm not trying yeah. to downplay or poo-poo that too much. But I, I I wanted to to say to this guy, you know, I'd, I'd love to teach men and women especially you know i found myself in a pretty unfortunate position because i said i my goal would be to open this up to my neighborhood yes. uh, and to yeah. let people potentially walk off the street into this bible study and if you're telling me it has to be men only you yeah. know or it, ha- it if you know most married couples groups a lot of them carry the the idea of well we're going to talk about what it means to be married, right? That's gonna be our main focus. Right, yeah.
2: well because yeah they're all married. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: And of course if you're married, that's you know the most that's the only thing you really think about, isn't it? So <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's just tough to 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 experience these kinds of uh traditional ideas about how these things ought to be and and of course, you know, there are some good ideas that undergird them for, you know, the idea of a I, well I guess you could say uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention in in the hot water that it, that's it that it's in at this point mm-hmm. um, you know there's just never a bad time to remember that we need to guard ourselves from from those kinds of situations and the hint of impropriety but it it's all of a piece of what we end up kind of depriving of ourselves and especially the women uh, yes. when we when we make these rigid roles and, yes. and see who gets kind of forced out of them for the sake of you know, good appearances or just simply doing it the way it's always been and the way we for some reason think it has to be done.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point.
1: Yeah, I think that's just go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that's what, you know, kind of reflecting on our experience in the past year. um, You know, it's just kind of really shaken up or I guess caused a a certain level of cognitive dissonance in a good way um, of just helping me to question the things that we have normalized as far as um how we're doing church and yeah that's uh, good yeah um and you know even like with the church planting thing um which i think is like the whole concept of we need to create new spaces for the people who aren't being reached i have started to call into question because i think that that was a a kind of accidentally ended up being a cause of some of the problems because I think we've contributed to the consumerism mindset that we need to find the church that fits us just right. Um, yes. And so that's why a lot of people would, would leave the church because they're trying to find the church that's the best fit and, you know, that meets all their needs and checks all their boxes. And, um, and, and that was exactly what we were doing by create, you know, planting new churches is cre- kind of creating these different products for people. Um, and so I, I've started to just question like these, you know, church planting um, the role of the pastor's wife and, um, all these things that I just kind of accepted before. And I think it's just something that we need to be questioning. So
2: mm-hmm. now, uh, Blake, does your wife have expectations on her at all because of your work?
0: Not so much as a chaplain. Uh, that really doesn't kind of uh-huh. come into it. Uh, I guess you could say there might be a sense if, if we're together that we are both treated as kind of a I don't want to say walking on eggshells, but, you know, just the jokes that are kind of thrown over there is It's like, oh, Chaplin, I hope you don't mind. I'm drinking a beer. And I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I've got a higher ABV than yours. I promise you. you know? yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and you know, that that idea of, of, well, of course, you know, the, they wouldn't be dealing with some of the same problems or even have the same kind of desires that we have. Um, but it, it really doesn't spill over into her being expected to perform in any particular way okay. or to forgive the, the hospital system, the kind of things that a pastor's wife gives. Yeah.
2: It. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that's more like, it, it's like you're a representative of the church, but of course you're not at that church. Right. So it, it's interesting that that can be a separate kind of way of being right. a leader. Yeah.
1: So, um, what are some ways that congregations and individuals, um, We can talk about what women can do, you know, what pastors' wives can do to kind of challenge and disrupt, but also what can congregations um, and people within the congregations do to better care for and support pastors' wives? Because I I don't really want to focus too much on what the pastors' wives can do, because they're already doing a lot, Mm -hmm. um, so much as how we need to shift um, in in congregations, shift how we're thinking about things. Have you guys thought about that? Yeah, I've thought about it a lot, because I feel like
2: writ large, the bigger problem here for both pastors and the wives is is that the leaders are doing too much, right? And that the more congregation needs to do more of the work, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and this is pastor burnout. It, this is where it all comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would love it if, uh, you know, church leaders in in congregations would gather and really take seriously, you know, spiritual gifting, inventories, things like that, and really find ways to plug people in in accordance to their gifts and that so that everybody knows the pastor's wife has these particular spiritual gifts and not these right Right? (laughs) and 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 really solid theological teaching on what paul is saying about the importance of each part of the body like solid theological teaching on that because it's like we can't all be eyes and ears and you know whatever and the hands and the feet are super duper important and and we are being hurt if you're not being these hands and these feet you know I, I just want to see more of that out of the pulpit than yeah um, than I've heard in, in my years as a Christian. You know, like right. seriously. And and I and I I also tend to think that complementarian type churches are crippled in this mm-hmm. way. You know, uh, taking seriously the gifts of of uh, of everybody as, yeah. as diverse and needed. So absolutely,
1: I think that's a good point. Um, yeah. I do want to say, as far as on the side of, like, caring for pastors' wives, but, I mean, for them caring for themselves, I think that idea of Sabbath is really important. Um, Yes. uh, And, like, that's daily resting in the Lord as well as the weekly being able to rest in the Lord. So our family was really good at Sabbath. But it was after church was over, so it was kind of a shortened, truncated Sabbath.
2: Well, um, so that goes back to that issue we were talking about there earlier, right? The right. Exactly. Off.
1: Yeah. Like when should the pastor's wife's Sabbath be? Yeah. Ours was ours was just I mean, and I we we used to joke, like after church, my body would just shut down. Like I could barely make it home without falling asleep. Um yeah. on Sunday mornings. Like I would just crash and um and so and it was, it was almost comical, like, how much my... It just would just all come down. But, like, that's that's all we had. It was this Sunday afternoon. And it was this special time for our family. And it was a very sweet time. But we we did not have a full Sabbath because of how just emotionally and physically draining Sunday mornings were for us.
2: Yes. Um, yes and but I do think it's important.
1: Yeah. I do think it's important for families to try to figure out the Sabbath puzzle. Um, and... You know, I do think as congregations, um, I do think that giving sabbatical is important. That was hugely important for our family. Um, That was a huge blessing in so many ways. They gave us three months off, and it was like the scariest time. We did it twice, because, but it also was so revealing to us that Mm we— We're carrying too much that we weren't trusting Jesus with the church oh, that we were wow. trying to be Jesus because we had to realize like this isn't our church. Like this is Jesus's church yes. and it can, it can live without us. And so Sabbath was our sabbatical was important for us to be able to step away and realize that we did not have to carry this on our own, that this was Christ's church. So I think congregations have got to give their pastors a sabbatical. Um, totally agree with that. I also think, um, it was, it was very gratifying, you know, when people would notice something that I did and acknowledge it and thank us. Or, when I, you know, if I said something nice and, like, when I was um, praying for the church or, or speaking in, in front of the church, like, mm-hmm. so many um, emails and phone calls we got were critical, telling us something that we had done wrong or yes. something that we, we, yeah. we should have done differently that I just really treasured every single note or text that was encouraging. So I think encouraging pastors, wives, um, and pastors is a great way to support them. Um, That's a good word. That's a good word for anybody who might
2: be listening to this, right? Yeah, because we're
1: so good at criticizing Yes. We're not so good at encouraging. And and it really helps
2: the wives because when my husband gets criticized, my life is miserable.
1: Oh, my gosh. You I know? carry it so deeply. Like I yeah. would get physically ill whenever yeah. I knew he was on one of those tough phone calls.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, me too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Because I know what it's doing to him. Yes. And I don't know if you guys do Enneagram, but he's a two on the Enneagram. So the criticism just soaks in. I mean, it just...
1: Oh, and he doesn't even need the criticism. Like he self-deprecates after almost every message. Like he'll, you know, yes. he'll pull apart what he should have said or said differently. And so, if on top of that you get an email or you get somebody who wants to call and talk about something that he said, I just got physically ill every time.
2: Yeah, yeah. and and people don't realize it that you know <laughs> they're holding it together for everybody else. And who are they going to talk to? Their wife. Right. Yeah. You, you know, when Absolutely, when yeah. stuff like that happens. That's a good yeah.
1: word. Yeah. yeah. So just be aware of that. Just be aware that anytime you criticize the pastor, the wife is feeling it. Yeah. Um, and then this is like a funny little one, too, that I thought about. Um, invite them to dinner or organize, you know, a, a you know a coffee for the women in the church. Like, it gets really exhausting being the initiator of everything. Um, yes. Like, I always felt like I had to plan an outing or plan, have people over or contact people and ask them to go out for coffee. And like when somebody texted me and asked me to go out, like it was (laughs) like that I didn't have to initiate all the things that were happening with the women in the church. Like it was just such a gift whenever somebody else would initiate, but I'm an introvert. So it was so hard for me because I felt like I needed to be reaching out and having coffee with the women in the church and doing all these things. But it was so scary for me. Anytime I had to call or text somebody because I'm an introvert, it's just like this huge step that I had to take. So it was just a huge blessing. So if you could, your pastor's wife probably wants to spend time with you, but they're exhausted with constantly having to schedule everything. Yeah. So if you and say, Is your
2: husband an extrovert as well? I'm highly introverted. And I'm oh, no. He's, he's also an introvert. Oh, okay. We're both
1: introverted. So it was like – so that's another reason why Sunday mornings were exhausting for
2: oh, us. Oh, sure. You're going to be spent by the <laughs> yeah. end of that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's just some thoughts that I had of how we might be a blessing. And like this was convicting for me, you know, because like now I'm not a pastor's wife. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I need to call her. I need to – schedule coffee with her because right. she probably would enjoy it and enjoy talking to me in particular because I kind of understand what she's going through sure but sure. she's she doesn't need to initiate I can call her and ask her to go to coffee so
2: yeah That's great it's good advice
1: so are there any other things uh that you wanted to bring up or talk about before we go on to passing on
0: I think just to to add in to uh, what y'all were saying about developing more community and a, a communal responsibility for the working of the church, I think that a pastor and the pastor's wife would benefit from, uh, I think you guys mentioned this a little bit already, not acting like the pastor was a Superman himself and yes. capable and responsible for everything. Like Yes, Absolutely. He, you know, the pastor more than likely doesn't have a master's degree in marriage counseling, but we, we ask a lot of pastors to be our marriage counselors the second we need to, especially because they usually work a lot cheaper than the marriage counselor. Oh, uh, oh
1: I got oh, a lot goodness. of stories about uh, that. Oh, oh and, and that's another one. We didn't even bring that one up, yeah. but I'm usually expected to be there for those types of counseling sessions. So, Oh, really? Oh, yep. wow. We don't yep. have that. Wow. Oftentimes, the women felt more comfortable if I was there, and so I felt like I needed to be there.
2: I see. I see. Wow. Wow. And you're not trained as a professional counselor either. And so. Yeah. And there's secondary
1: trauma involved in that too, you know.
2: Yeah. No, there is. And in fact, I mean, this has caused our, the ACNA, you know, the Anglican Church of North America is going through a sexual abuse scandal. Um, And some of it is stuff related to uh, pastors being called on to do counseling that they're not, they actually don't even know what to do. Yeah in terms Mm -hmm. of like reporting and stuff, you know, that's been part of the problem is, is that too much expectations for that kind of counseling role as if they're
1: professionals. So, yeah, it's a good point, Blake.
0: The other thing I would say is that uh, uh, for pastors who are expected to make hospital visits, I wouldn't recommend that no, you know, church pastors ever make a hospital visit again, but we ask them to do kind of the work that your chaplain ought to be doing if you're in the hospital. And a lot of times I will go to a patient and I'll say I'm the chaplain do you want to talk about spiritual matters that sort of thing better than that of course And then they'll point to the person next to them and they'll say, well, this is my pastor, so it should be okay. And sometimes that's their husband or sometimes their pastor's just visited him. And I always bite my tongue. I never say this out loud, but I've always kind of wanted to say, oh, that's your pastor? Cool. If he does two more years of training, he'll be able to be a a chaplain. So that'd be really He's much closer than most people. (laughs) Still have to do more than just get an MDiv to do what I do. But anyway.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's a specific kind of a work, right? Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, there is a, there are a lot of hats that pastors are expected uh to do that they are not trained to do. My husband had to do disaster relief because we had a, a massive um flood and um and that also broke him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I think that's it's a good word. We're we're expecting a lot of the pastors and the wives. Um so All right. Well, thank you guys. This was very therapeutic for me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And I just hope that if there are any pastor's wives out there, that this was encouraging to know that you are seen and we know how much um, you are carrying. Mm -hmm. And that those of us who are congregants in churches could just be a little bit more cognizant of what the pastor's wives might be experiencing. So let's move on to passing on. Uh, Christina, do you have something to share with us?
2: Yes, I have just recently discovered, and I don't know how or why it took me this long to discover Thomas Traherne. um, But speaking about the need for all leaders in the church to have their own spiritual lives renewed, he's got a, a book of reflections. I mean, he's a 17th century writer and reflections kind of slash poetry called Centuries. And it's just it's just beautiful. It's just it's so encouraging, um, kind of like reminding you of all the good things uh, about being a Christian. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, so I just I'm so moved by this book, and I just want to throw that out there.
1: Thank you. I look forward to checking that out. Uh, the one that I wanted to share is um, "Redeeming Your Time" by Jordan Raynor. Uh, it's a book about time management, but it's kind of centered on using. Looking at the life of Jesus and how he managed his time from a spiritual perspective, uh, I will say that this book comes from a very privileged perspective. And that the, if you're, you have to be in a job where you have a lo- great deal of flexibility to con- to organize your time, like uh, yes. those of us who are in an academic field. Um, but uh, I think, especially for pastors' wives and for those in ministry and those in academia. At, I found it very, very helpful, and he, he draws on all kinds of sociological and psychological research and as well as the Gospels, and um, he's, he's a very high-capacity person who's read 40 books about time management, and I just found the ideas to be very practical and also spiritual just to understand that we are not supposed to be omnipresent, and we're not supposed to be omniscient. We're not supposed to know all the things we know from social media and 24-hour news cycle, and we're not supposed to be all places at all times. And mm-hmm. just to really accept that and to contemplate that, I found it to be a very helpful book. So I hope that some of you guys can check it out. Blake, do you have something for us?
0: Yeah. Uh, the pastor of the church I was attending back when I lived in Atlanta before I moved up here for this job, it's named uh, Daniel Vestal. He was actually the first uh, executive director of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, which is my denomination, that split off from the Southern Baptist Convention in the early 90s. And he recently published his memoir called This Treasure Within, Uh, and he he goes over basically his about 50-year career, including – Uh, a kind of bitter fight that led to the the separation between the the Southern Baptist Convention and the Cooperative Baptist. And so he he gave me a free copy of that a couple of Sundays ago and signed it. And that was a a great moment for me. And I'm also really interested in digging in to kind of see what that separation looked like, especially in light, again, of of what the Southern Baptists are in the news for these days. So I would recommend that uh, to just get that perspective on an interesting moment in American Christian history.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at the Christian Feminist Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at our network's Twitter handle at chradionetwork. And check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Filippic is our press liaison for Christina Bieber-Lake and Blake Miller. I'm Kim Feldman. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss St. Mary of Egypt. Until then, in Essentials Unity, in Non-Essentials Liberty, and in All Things Love.